Hello, and welcome to episode 85 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, March 3rd, 2022. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? I'm okay. (laughs) We are laughing because we are crouched down between our two beds in our Stitches West hotel room because we are out of... Out of town. I feel like out of our minds. <laughs> I feel like we're podcasting from a blanket fort. We are kind of. <laughs> we're trying to to make it not be quite so noisy. So we'll see how this goes. Um, yeah, but Stitches West has begun, and we are here. We're in Sacramento, California. Yeah. So this is the first year. It's in Sacramento. It was in Santa Clara before. So this is all new in many ways. So we'll see how this goes. But so in honor of that, we are changing up our episode. We are going to start with on the nightstand and then on the table and then on the easel. And we will finish up with on the needles because it is all about the yarn people. Yeah, this weekend, even I am just (laughs) surrendering to it. Yeah, I'm not going to say too much. I did go to the preview marketplace tonight and the yarn fumes were just (laughs) out of control. I, yeah. Can't even believe how awesome it was. It's definitely a smaller marketplace than it has been in the past. Stitches West used to be like the Huge. biggest yeah. yeah, of all the stitches. And it is not that giant, but there is much amazing yarn and it is in person and masked and vaxxed and just lovely. Yeah, we're here for it. Yeah. Our plan is to record a little bit each night while we're here and update you on things And so we're going to start with on the nightstand, because that doesn't really involve yarn. So on the nightstand, hopefully I'll remember all my books. So I I don't know what happened to my library list, but I ended up with all these really kind of dark, not necessarily depressing, just horror-adjacent books, (laughs) um, which is not my genre usually. But like last time I had come for me with apples, which was dark fairy tale and I've got a couple more that happened this time and at some point I just had to say I don't care that this book is due next I need to read some fluff so there will be some fluff it is not all dark and depressing I have a gem of a happy one so good I will save my happy one for very last yes and this was all before (laughs) things went so sideways in extra sideways in the world in the world yes yes so my first one, The Death of Jane Lawrence, doesn't that sound cheery? By Caitlin Starling. Jane, her parents died in the war, so she was raised by some friends of her parents, and they are moving back to the capital city, and Jane does not want to go. So she decides the best solution is to find a husband. So she makes a list of eligible men in the town and proposes to Dr. Lawrence. And he's unsure... And she says that he's already of a certain age and unmarried. She figures he's not terribly interested in marriage. And what she's really proposing is kind of a business arrangement. She's been trained as a bookkeeper so she can manage the business side of his medical practice. And he can focus on being a doctor. Says, okay, that works out. My only requirement is that you will never come spend a night at my house right outside of town. You'll stay at the... You can't live at the mansion you, you can't have live to the stay. At but the... I will spend every night at the mansion. Yeah, it's so, so weird. It's I weird. read this. Oh, you did? Isn't that Did how you, you talk about it? it? No, I don't think so. How oh, funny. <laughs> yeah. This has happened before. Uh, I, maybe it is how I got it. 
Did you read it recently? Yeah, ish. Huh, all right. Excellent. So I apologize if you've heard this before. So first night, they get married. Shenanigans happen. And she finds herself on his front porch, pouring rain, road washed out, can't go back to town. It just goes creepy from there. I ended up really liking it. It was a little more gory than I was really enjoying. But I just skimmed those parts and it was fine. Yeah. Um, I liked how it took place in a... It wasn't an entirely alternate world, but it was not exactly England. It was like a... It was like a nondescript, old-timey village. Yeah. I liked Jane. I thought she was a cool character. I thought their relationship was really interesting. Yeah, I ended up really quite enjoying it. I could have done without some of the bloodshed. But, you know, such is life. Can't have everything. Can't have everything. And then next I read The Hazelwood by Melissa Albert which is the first in a series. And this has been on my list forever, and I just never pulled it off of there. But I finally did. Alice was raised by her mom on kind of a road trip lifestyle. Her grandmother was known for writing a series of fairy tales. And people, and is kind of famous for it, and people always want to know about her grandmother. She was never very into it. And there's always a series of bad luck, so she and her mom are continually on the road. And then... Stuff starts to happen. They think life has settled down. It all goes sideways. Turns out maybe the fairy tales are real. Her mom disappears. She goes on a quest. All that good stuff. It was quite good. I think it's kind of on the young adult spectrum, but not... Not overtly. Not too much angst. Yeah. Good. Not, Not too much angst, which is usually my problem with the young adult ones. So I really like this, and I am... It was enough, it's definitely part of a series, but it's enough of its own book that I don't feel the immediate, I don't feel like I immediately have to read the second one, but I do kind of want to. So we'll see when that happens. But I did enjoy that. Next was The World Gives Way by Marissa Levine. This one was a really hard read. (laughs) It ended up good. It did not go the way I expected. So Myra is an, I guess we could call her an indentured servant on a giant spaceship of humans fleeing the world. And she is in this position because when they left the world, the rich people could buy spaces on the airplane. Poor people had to pay or had to agree to sell their services to be workers. So her great-grandmother was the one that sold their services for, I guess, into four generations. And 50 years from now, Myra will be free. That's bleak. It is bleak. But, like, at least she is, it's within her lifetime. In theory, she is still working on some other outs. But then the couple that she is working for both commit suicide. The wife reveals some secrets and they leave behind a baby daughter. So Myra has to flee. There's all sorts of things going on. Uh, The police are after her. It's, it was a really difficult. Yeah. Oh my gosh. You're just struggling with like good adjectives for this. Yeah. It, It ended up being a really beautiful, thoughtful book. Okay, however. Probably not the best book to be reading in a pandemic. Gotcha. You need to be in a fairly good mental place, I think, to be able to deal with the conclusion of this book, because it's not a cheery ending. Okay. But fascinating. So overall, I didn't enjoy it, but I think it was, it was, it gave you a lot of things to think about. And then to totally switch, I read Text from Jane Eyre by Daniel M. Lavery. Which is a series of text conversations between, like, 
Jane Eyre and Mr. Rochester, or the characters from Great Expectations. <laughs> so this was pretty hilarious. You do need to have a pretty good working knowledge of, quote, classics of English literature to understand. There were some books in there that I had not read, and I was like, hmm, I don't, I don't know what this is. There was some poetry in there. I think it was more the poetry. It was pretty hilarious. I failed the poetry quiz the other day. Like a, um, It was like a matching game in the newspaper that was... A line of poetry and you had to you had to attribute it oh and i totally i don't think failed. you had to know it that much but like it was william wordsworth talking to i don't know somebody or thoreau talking to his mom and he's like yes i'm going out you know to live in yeah. the woods and live authentically and can you bring me my laundry <laughs> <laughs> with like my friend joe and bob and sam and but we're gonna i'm gonna be all by myself and it was pretty funny so that was that was a nice little break which led into You Feel It Just Below the Ribs by Jeffrey Craner and Janina Mathewson. Was the title not a giveaway? Yeah, I know. <laughs> it, was, it was coming due. This one was less, slightly less depressing. So it is presented as a memoir or a, a found memoir. It's a manuscript that was found underneath the floorboards of a studio in like Stockholm and it turns out that it's allegedly the memoir of this doctor who was responsible for this psychiatric treatment that has changed the way the world operates. So it's a it's an alternate reality where there was kind of global war from like 1910 to 1940, mm. uh, like seriously global war. And then there were some pandemics and Yellowstone erupted and we lost like 30% of humanity, and so people are trying to rebuild. What they decided was that nations, cities, family loyalty is what causes war. So if we break that connection, we won't have any more war. And her treatment was originally um, to help kids get over trauma. It's kind of like a meditation, and then you can sort of help them get over their memories. And the government decided, well, what we actually need is for the kids, when you're 10, everybody goes through this treatment, and then you don't remember your family anymore. There's no more families. Kids are state-raised. But then no one has any connections, so we don't have war. You can see where there might be issues with this. The manuscript is supposed to be a memoir, and there's kind of notes from the, the editors explaining like where this is wrong and where this doesn't agree with the facts of history as we know it. Uh, so it was a really interesting book. Very well written. Just kind of a different... Hard given our current yeah. global climate. Correct. But less depressing overall. I mean, it's kind of a way that things could go really wrong. So let's try and avoid that. And the authors, I think, both come from a podcast, like a serialized storytelling mm, background. Fun. So it was, it was an interesting writing style, a little bit different. So I did enjoy that one. So then we went with two pretty fluffy ones. The Last Dance of the Debutante by Julia Kelly. In 1958, Queen Elizabeth said that would be the last year that she would have debutantes presented to her at court. And Lily Nichols is one of that last group of girls. So it is her story and kind of her season. She's not a typical debutante. She is, you know, of the right class. Her mother, her aunt, both her grandmothers were all presented at court. But her family has kind of fallen on hard times. Her dad died right at the beginning of World War II. And so her mom fell into a depression and really hasn't been out in society. Her grandmother, her father's mother, has been responsible for basically funding everything. And both her mom and her grandmother 
decided that she needs to have a season. And Lily's like, uh, okay, whatever. So it's kind of all the things that are going on. It's kind of like watching an episode of The Crown where it's all this like high society and glamour. And so that part's really fun and learning about the different parties and how the season worked and hearing about the clothes and whatnot. But then it's like, why should I feel bad for these people? And Lily knows to a certain extent that she's super privileged. And a lot of it is about kind of, it's kind of a coming of age. She's... Is this kind of a true... Is the timing of it true? Yes. So the author did some research, like she talked to people that were part of that last class. And it was kind of a bellwether moment, right? Like where it was really sort of the end of that kind of society and women were moving away, you know, starting to get jobs and become modern women and and all that and not just, you know, wanting more than just being wives and mothers. And so Lily is part of that. She's learning what she wants in a friend, what she wants in a partner. There's some family secrets. It's not entirely fluffy. There's definitely some right. some literature stuff trying to go on. I didn't entirely buy all of that part of it, but the party stuff was interesting. Um, and I think Lily's relationships were really truthfully written. So it was always a fun book to to dive back into. And some of the, the Queen Charlotte's Ball was, whew, they all curtsy to a giant cake. Okay. Yeah, because why not? Like a short <clears throat> Charlotte cake? I guess it was originally, there was originally a party in honor of Queen Charlotte's birthday, okay. and they decided to keep doing it every year, forever. They wheel out like a six foot tall cake and all the Debs, like, oh, but only certain, like all the Debs go, but only certain of them get to walk down the stairs and then curtsy to the cake, and the Deb of the year gets to actually cut the cake. It's a whole thing. Wow. This is what I'm saying. It's yeah, fascinating, and yet, do I actually care about these people? Yeah. Not really. And then finally, The Untold Story by Genevieve Cogman. This is book eight in this series, the Invisible Library series. The world is divided between chaos and order, fey and dragon. The librarians are in the middle, keeping things balanced by stealing books from the different worlds (laughs) and universes. So in this one, Irene, our heroine, found out some big important things about the villain of the series and so she is kind of on a hunt for him it felt like the end of the series but not entirely i mean there's a uh, an afterword and it kind of said i mean she wants to keep writing i don't know if she's going to keep writing for this particular series she had some really fantastic things to say about books and librarians and the purpose of libraries and knowledge and if it is in fact the end of the series it was a nice ending and I was uh, Irene is super snarky and spunky and just a really great heroine. And there's a nice relationship between her and her boyfriend. And they both kind of want to protect each other. And they have to have conversations about like, okay, I can't tell you to stay here, even though I want to tell you that, but I know you would do the same thing for me. And like, I'm not going to stay behind. So nice kind of modern relationship. So that was a good one. Well, you ended on a good note. Yeah. Hmm. It was a little rough there at the beginning. Yeah. Yeah, you were really in the weeds. I know. I was like, I need something happy. I have five books, which is like a huge that's a lot uptick for me because I haven't one last time. Yeah, yeah. Construction is Mm. not peaceful. No, I really struggled with the layout of my book dissertation today, and you'll see why. So, starting off with the slimmest little story. Small Things Like These by Claire Keegan. 
This was not very cheerful. It takes place in 1985 Ireland. The main story is told by Bill Furlong, who's a Coleman. His mother was a a live-in help for an older woman. He never knew his own origin story. His mother died when he was young, and the woman kept him on. And there were lots of secrets about who his father was, and he never really knew. Fast forward, he is a father in his own right, and he has a family and a wife. She definitely knows that he had this shrouded background. She tries not to hold it against him, although it comes out at times, and it's kind of unsightly. He's delivering coal, and it's Christmas time, winter time, and so he's going to all different kinds of people and neighborhoods, and and it's right at the start of the Troubles, I think. I don't really know my modern Irish history, but there's definitely stuff brewing. And one of the hard parts is he delivers coal to what he thinks is a convent. They also have, he thought it was a home for young girls, Mm -hmm. but it turns out it's one of the Magdalena laundries. And and that folded in with the, what's going on politically and how the nuns were trying to hide it. And I don't want to reveal what happens, but it's very important to him and his interactions with the laundry. Really slim little novel, and it's mostly about his shame that comes to light and then how he deals with it. And I thought it was kind of a a beautiful little novel. Sad, to be sure, but small things like these. Then I have The Magnolia Palace by Fiona Davis. This is a newer book. It's about Helen Frick and her father, Henry Frick, the Frick family in New York City. And they had like a really spectacular mansion right on Central Park that at the time was known for the magnolias that blossomed in front. It has since been converted into a museum, the Frick Gallery. So this is a historical fiction. It takes place in 1919, right after the Spanish flu. And then it hops forward to 1966. I'm not entirely certain why. It is told from the viewpoint of Lillian, who is a private secretary for a time to Helen Frick, who's the daughter of Henry Frick. And Helen, in real life, never married, very much championed her father's memory, and is the reason why there is a gallery there at all. And she, like he, was a tremendous art lover. So in the fictionalized account, there's sort of the mystery of why she never married, Mm -hmm. and a lot of description of the art. I loved that part of it. Yeah. I, I, I'm i not entirely sure because I don't know the Frick family that well. I don't know what was significant about the 1966 leap. I mean, she tried to tie it all together, but I don't know that that was wholly successful for me. But it was kind of a fun read. Then I have The Island of Missing Trees. And this is the new Elif Shafak book about Cyprus in the 1970s. Holy catfish, I love the beginning of this book. It is so great. 
I love the whole book, but when you start, you're introduced to the main character and her her mother, and there is some leaping back and forth in time between the 1970s and then in London in the 2000s and 2010s. But the other point of view in this book is from the fig tree, and it is oh. so well done. And you know I'm a complete tree nerd, and I absolutely loved this botanical voice and it made me laugh out loud the fig tree made me laugh out loud and i am i love this book it is written something else yeah she did that book 10 minutes and 38 seconds in this strange world which i know i talked about a couple years ago was that when the woman was dying yeah that was the the sex worker in istanbul yeah then she liked that one too i did she has a bunch of other books the 40 Rules of Love, The Three Daughters of Eve. She's got a good backlog. So look her up. Her writing is, I think, really, really great. And again, I so love the tree in this book. The timing is tricky because it's all about... I didn't really know this, this that Cyprus was part Greek, part Turkish for many years. And there were tensions and... There's a whole city in Cyprus that is, like, abandoned because of it, truly, to this day. I had no idea about any of that. And I loved learning it, but I'm also very saddened because I feel like we're witnessing on a maybe a larger scale, but no less. You can't really give weight to this stuff. It's all terrible. Yeah. Anyway, find that if that interests you. Then I have... Okay. (sighs) This one was not easy. Intimacies by Kate Kitamura, which is about a leader of a country who is being, he's on trial at The Hague for war crimes. Oh. Yeah. Timely. Relevant. Anyway, back to the book. So we have present day. She's a translator at The Hague. She has, I think, Japanese and maybe Singaporean is her ethnicity. So she's not Dutch, but she speaks a lot of different languages and that's why she's at The Hague. This book is was really difficult, not just because of the timing and what's going on in the world, but also it's about really tumultuous relationships and her feeling like she does not know where she's at in the world. And I think it's it's always hard when you have a friend or a sibling or yourself feeling unmoored. It's hard to guide somebody through that. It's also hard to read about a character who's so unmoored. And her job in this, in these relationships, her friendships and her love life, she just feels completely afloat to me. And the one thing that grounded her was this horrendous trial. And her descriptions of how she was translating, you know, she, she would be saying these words but not, she, she was just translating in her head. And it wasn't until they were out of her mouth that she realized what she was saying. And then it, the weight of all that, not the most cheerful book. So that's um, Intimacies. I'm ending on a really great one called Excellent. Yours Cheerfully Aww. by A.J. Pierce. And anybody who's been here for a while will remember when I first fell in love with the audiobook 
Dear Mrs. Bird by A.J. Pierce. And I had no idea there was a sequel sitting out there waiting for me, and I found it, and it's so good. Oh, my gosh. I love this writer. It's exactly what we all need right now. So if you'll recall, Dear Mrs. Bird takes place in World War II. Our lady war correspondent, Emmy, was hoping to get a job in the field, but instead she gets a job at a ladies' magazine helping write the advice column. That's the first book. The second book, she is still at said ladies' magazine. The war is still raging, and she is still helping with the advice column, but she's also doing the careers column now. And it's her job to... So the the British... ministry is trying to drum up women to go work in the factories. They need women to go to work and and help out in the munitions factories or all the factories really. And so she comes up with an idea to interview women at work. Like what's it like? Because part of the issue is none of them have ever worked before and they don't have any friends who've worked and it's super scary and what's it like and and so she thinks it's going to be this not fluffy but you know talking about the canteen and how's the tea and what do I wear and it really becomes everything that you think it should be fairness of hours and wages and how they're treated by the male supervisors who are not very happy that there are women there all of it it's so well researched so well written, in the midst of war, completely hopeful. And I love this book. Aw, that sounds good. Yeah, yours cheerfully. Okay, so that's all for tonight. We will be back with you tomorrow, although you won't notice because it's all going to come out at the same time. Bye, everyone. (laughs) Hello, we are back. It is, what is it, today's Friday now? It's Friday. Friday evening, and we are going to go out to dinner soon. So we thought we'd do a little recording, a little on the table action it's been a fun day though i bought yarn she bought yarn and other things i also bought pom-poms so now i have to knit hats for the pom-poms just so difficult i loved the pom-poms so tough they're Um, vegan don't worry yeah they feel like faux fur fur. Mm -hmm. they're very cute and there may have been some yarn buying and i had a class it was all good but we're talking about food now I realized I had not written down anything that I've made in the past two weeks. I'm not sure what I was thinking. But first, exciting news. I got my notice. I am in the Rancho Gordo Bean Club now. So I know you all are very excited for me. It's been over a year. (laughs) It's been over a year that I've been on the waiting list. And he posted on Twitter that apparently they are opening up a lot more spots. So by the third quarter, they should have enough room for everybody who wants to be in it. So if you were thinking about it, you might want to get on the list because you should not have to wait as long as I did, it sounds like. Why do you, what do you love about it? Right now, it's just that I got in. Okay. I'm very competitive like that. (laughs) Yes. So I think (laughs) I like the exclusive access to beans. Yes. So I think once a quarter, I get six bags of beans and one grain and i think some of them are special for the bean club just having them show up at your door is always fun yeah and then there's discounts and you know other things that they invite you to but you know it's just beans showing up sounds 
really fun because we do actually eat a lot of beans in our house and they are delicious. So congratulations. Yeah. I might get the first one and be like, this is what I was waiting for. I don't think so. But I don't think it so. It is Rancho Gordo. This is true. I mean, it's beans. How bad can it be? And then the other thing is that I was able to sample the Cascatelli because Courtney gifted me with a box, Oh, that bo- which got slightly <laughs> damp in the uh, broth disaster of 2022. <laughs> so there was that, but it was all rescued. The pasta itself was fine. So I cooked it up and it was amazing. Right. So good. It's really delicious pasta. It has me excited to sample their other offerings. Yeah. Like maybe I should join their pasta club. (laughs) Sure. Which they have quarterly. Nice. Sfolini. Sfolini, yeah. Where did I see them? I saw them. Whole Foods has them. Whole Foods has them, yeah. But they do not as of yet have the gluten-free one there. Or at least the the one Whole Foods that I checked in San Francisco did not have it. And neither did our Trader Joe's. So I'm still waiting on those to show up. Right. And Trader Joe's is regular, not gluten-free, just regular pasta. But But I have seen photos posted that they are both supposed to be out there in the wild and available. So if anybody sees it, let us know. Let us know. Yeah, because then I will go shopping some more. Especially if you're Bay Area. But, you know, if you're in Boulder and you see it, I'm still curious. It's getting closer. Yeah. Yes, my kids really liked it. My husband obviously did not have any. I served it with a bolognese using impossible ground meat so that I just had to make the one sauce. And that was delicious. I, who's? I have no idea whose bolognese it was. I mean, it was just a basic one. And it was very tasty. I got some questions. Uh, I went back and forth with Stephanie. Mm-hmm about what kind of pasta would be or what kind of sauce would be good for the cascatelli and i think anything but she and i traded a couple different vodka sauce recipes and she found one on new york times that called for a little bit of cheese i found one that i had tried before that had a monster amount of parmesan Um, and then i had an old rachel ray recipe that has no cheese at all but it has a little bit of heavy cream and i had forgotten how much i like that one so i might i don't think i've used cheese in my vodka sauce i use cream yeah so i mean cheese on top after but right right i mean interesting i've made the really cheesy ones because the kids loved it and i think it probably had less vodka i don't remember Uh, could be i think the one i've used is from how to cook everything Ooh, that classic classic maybe we should do a vodka off Yes, exactly. Yeah, we had we had a birthday, so I got to make tres leches cake, which was delicious. I used the very vanilla cake from Simple Cake by Odette Williams, and then she has a. I mean, tres leches is it is what it is. I don't. It's not like she invented that, but she did have it in there, and I managed to let it soak for long enough, and it was delicious. It's always good. And then we had lasagna. For our entree. Gluten-free? No. Boy, too. His, definitely last year, his dinner was lasagna. It, it's been lasagna for a few years. The tres leches is a new thing. And last year, boy, one was also gluten-free. And I just like could not, I could not make two lasagnas. So I made the whole thing gluten-free and used plant-based sausage. And birthday boy was a little cranky. <laughs> he was very 
good about it, but he was not happy. Um, so this year I was like, forget it. It's his one birthday a year. He can have gluten and meat in his lasagna. And my parents were coming over as well. So there are going to be five of us that were looking for gluten and meat. So I did that and I used Dinner Love Story. She just posted one for the Super Bowl. Um, and it's also in her How to, How to Celebrate Everything book. It worked out pretty well. I just wasn't sure about how many layers to do. And I think I could have done more layers mm. and possibly increased the amounts. But we had leftover. We had a little bit left over, so there was enough. I love a high rise lasagna. Yeah. It was good. And it used the no cook or no boil noodles, which was fun. I hadn't used those in years and they were always sort of dicey before, but these worked quite well. Great. So yeah. So it was, you know, nothing terribly exciting, but oh that's what it was. It was birthday week, so like I was doing tacos and Yeah. Basic yeah. things for for the now sixteen year old. How about you? I did a little bit of baking. I made the chocolate sheet cake, which incidentally is gluten-free, from Half-Baked Harvest. It calls for almond flour Mm. instead of traditional. So that means it yields a different texture. And this cake is also very little refined sugar. The sweetener was maple syrup. Again, that flavor profile, you have to kind of be on board with that. Although the cocoa covers everything. I made a million mistakes with this cake and it still came out good. I used ghee instead of coconut oil because I had all that ghee. Are you saying it, that's a mistake or it's a design, not a mistake. design choice? It's a design choice, yeah. I also, I don't know what is wrong with me, but I mixed up baking soda and baking powder. What? Well, I blame Trader Joe's because they do both of them in the round cylinder tin. And sometimes my brain is just thinking orange box. Yeah. (laughs) So I mixed that up, but it was still good. It still, it wasn't enough to, you know, it wasn't like a tablespoon. It should have been like a half a teaspoon and I put in a teaspoon and didn't realize it until too late. Not a catastrophe because then you ice this thing. Mm -hmm. I only used half the icing that it called for. Everybody loved it. It was fine. Like, even with my mistakes. So It's chocolate cake. It's chocolate cake. And it wasn't that sweet, even with the icing. So it was a win. And then I had, we had some, I roasted some chicken. And so the next day or two, we had the, I was trying to think of what to do with leftover chicken. And I also had, I had a leftover ball of pizza dough in the fridge because I thought I would make something for the Super Bowl weekend and I ended up not. So instead I made like a Dijon chicken and mushroom pocket with the dough. I mean, you can't call it a calzone because there's no marinara in there and you can't call it a... And, and I don't know the French equivalent of an empanada. <laughs> Is there a French equivalent? It was I a don't po- think so. It was, it was very French chicken. You yeah. know, the Dijon and the mushrooms and the chicken. And I put some Swiss cheese in it. Oh. Because, yeah. And then I baked it off and I made like two big pockets. 
not a calzone. I don't know what to call them. They were excellent, and we ate them all. Nice. So that was a DIY recipe. Yeah. And then, because I'm just loving everything from Half-Baked Harvest right now, um, on the weekend she had a baked chocolate donut, which mm. just seemed like the right thing to do on a weekend. Yeah. And I have that little donut tin, the Wilton donut tin. And so I threw these together and in a absolute brilliant moment, we don't drink milk. The recipe called for a half a cup of milk or something like that. And we don't have any milk. And so I went in thinking, I'll just sub it out for almond milk. And then I remembered that somebody had bought a half gallon of chocolate milk. I used the chocolate milk. Nice. Right? I think yeah. that that I need a prize. Yeah, yeah, you do. So baked chocolate donuts from Half Baked Harvest. They were super mile high. <laughs> Came right out of the tin. And Are they the normal size? They're, they're a minis. little tiny. Okay, but not, they're, not many, many. Yeah, they're just not donut shop sized. And then the icing, I took the other half of the icing that I didn't use on the chocolate cake from oh. the week before. I had just saved it in the fridge and iced the donuts with the leftover icing, time saver. And I sprinkled them with a couple of chocolate sprinkles. It and looked wow. Delicious. Yeah. It was great. They were definitely best day of edible for sure the next day but they just they were just so great warm and out of the oven cool so that's it for on the table because construction and now we're up here in sacramento where we're letting other people cook yes yes so nice other people are very good cooks other people are excellent cooks especially when they do the dishes too it's been very, very nice. All right. We will talk to you tomorrow. Hello and welcome back. It's Sunday morning. Yesterday was very, very busy and we didn't record. So we decided to record this morning before we head home. And we did that. And then my computer shut down and deleted all of the things recorded. So we're recording again. This Such time, is technology. This time with feeling. It's going to be amazing. So we still wanted to talk about food a little bit. Part of being on the road is that we get to eat out and we don't have to cook. And we've eaten at some really delicious places. We had dinner their first night at this lovely little French bistro. And we had lunch at this fabulous Mexican place. And both of those were right around the corner from our hotel. So that was wonderful. And then last night we went to this kind of American Californian place and sat outside with a great view of the state capitol, which was lovely. And, had and monster desserts. Monster desserts. So that was great. But the highlight that we wanted to share with you was our dinner at The Kitchen, which is Sacramento's only Michelin-starred restaurant. They have one star. And they've had it for at least two years. I don't know if it's been longer or not, but either way, very exciting. And this was just such a fun and delicious experience that we wanted to share it with you. Yeah, I think we realized that this isn't something that everyone will necessarily seek out. But for us being food people and home cooks and eaters... <laughs> We th we thought it would be a really interesting way to spend an evening. It it felt like part show, like 
part performance art and a beautiful, beautiful meal. Actually, like three meals we will tell you about. <laughs> well, yes. And the chef definitely knows his stuff, as far as we could tell. I mean, part of their thing is that the chefs are on the, the floor. Our tables, we were at a, like a bar area that overlooked the kitchen. So you could chat with him and his sous chefs. And ask, ask questions. questions. Courtney yeah. looked the chef up. He worked at Fleur de Lis, which is a very high-end restaurant, or was a very high-end restaurant in San Francisco. So he is... Definitely seems to be classically trained, knows oh, his yeah. stuff. For sure. Um, or classically European trained, knows his stuff. Um, and, you know, was happy to talk about it in great depth, which was fantastic. Yeah. Uh, and super fun. And so, yeah, so it was a prefix meal. They just kept bringing you food. Amazing, amazing food. And his whole thing was that you will not go home hungry. For sure. We were... <laughs> we were not hungry. Laughably full. <laughs> yeah. And he would... You could... Order seconds if you wanted. You could do the whole thing over again. Right, which is something my husband doesn't particularly care about going to the to what you would perceive as a fancy restaurant with one little nibble on a giant plate and later he wants to go get a cheeseburger at In N Out. This was not like that at all. This was yeah. like a really <laughs> filling and also very educational experience. So we thought we would run through this menu so that you could hear about these really interesting foods that we tried and some of the things that we learned along the way. Yeah, so the first one was the cauliflower pot de creme, which was one of your favorites. Yeah, I, I can't – I wasn't in good question mode at that point. I didn't realize how much we could actually grill these folks. The surface was extraordinary, and even the servers could answer a lot of questions about how food is prepared because they're all food lovers for sure. So I'm not quite sure – what was in this, or how they achieved cauliflower of that texture, but it had... Because it was super smooth. It was just incredible. Yeah. But it had amazing flavor with Asian pear and ginger and coriander and sultanas on top, and it was just gorgeous. And then... And then, possibly the highlight of the evening for both of us was this mushroom bisque. Came in a little shot glass and had Parmesan foam on top, and was just the perfect temperature because I was just afraid there's no way they can get this right, right? It's either going to be cold or you're going to get your mouth scalded. No, it was just it ideal. Was so, and then the taste. It's kind of tragic, though, that my favorite thing was it's not even a course. It's just this little thing that they passed us. It was an amused bouche. Yeah. And we were middle. amused. And that was it for me. Like, I was sold on the mushroom, the mushroom bisque and have yeah. spent all of my time, not all, but... A lot of internet time since then trying to figure out mushrooms. It was very intense and delicious. And then we had Dungeness crab cannelloni, but was not rolled in pasta. It was two teeny tiny little cannelloni, but instead of pasta, it was really thin butternut squash and was in a yuzu saffron sauce with, I guess, candied kumquats. They did something to the kumquats that came from the garden right outside. And it had many threads of saffron yes, on top. which is fantastic. The flavors were just on the edge of not working, and I think I fell on the side of, but they still worked, and I think you were a little more on like, mm. I was still on the mushroom cloud, so. That's true. I wasn't wholly sold on that one, and I felt like even though I love saffron, it was very strongly saffroned. Yeah. but And maybe like you didn't get the crab as much. Yeah. You got all these other flavors, which were bright and delicious. Right, um, and Dungeness crab is delicious yeah. on its own. Yes, yeah, for sure. 
Then we had early pea shoot handkerchief pasta with just like a pound of truffle shavings on it. This was obscene. We, yeah, the chef just got out the grater and just chit, 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 just kept going. It was amazing. But the most exciting part of that was the salt cured egg yolk that was shaved on top as well. Yeah, they were they were grating the egg yolk. It was the layer right before the truffles. And so when I isolated a little piece of it on my plate, it had that kind of salty, parmigiani, but different flavor. And so we asked about it, and apparently they salt cure the egg yolk for a week in the fridge and then rinse it off really, really well, and then you can do great things with it, like grate it onto things. And this might be a technique that I attempt. We'll see. You should. It would be great content. Either well, there way. was the salt-cured lemons, too, and I'm really oh, into that idea. lemons. That is delightful as well. Um, so then was the intermission, which was not at all a break. There was more food. It was a seafood platter. There were oysters with this amazing mignonette sauce and... Uh, the kimchi, kimchi shrimp. shrimp, which was which your was favorite. Which was so fun. And some tuna poke with seaweed and... Oh, there were uh, onion and chive potato chips. House-made oh, potato right. chips. Yeah. We were so... At I, that point, we were... We were kind of getting... We were slowing full. down, so we were being a little more selective. Because next came the mushroom and acorn spetzli, spetzla. I call it spetzel, but yep. I'm sure I'm not right. But I'm sure I'm not right. I don't know. Someone can let us know how you actually pronounce it. It came with braised daikon and miner's lettuce and buffalo milk mozzarella fonduta with local buffalo mozzarella. Tamales Bay, I think. Yeah, um, which I have heard about somewhere, and it's going to bug me that I cannot remember where I heard about this before. But yeah, we have water buffalo water buffalo yeah. farm near us or, you know, in the Bay Area. That I really like the daikon on that for some reason. You um, did. I don't know. I, don't I loved know. the... Mushrooms. Yes, was, I mean they, those were. There was a crowd of mushrooms in that dish with the with the buffalo mozzarella. Yeah, and it was extraordinary. I think the daikon had a little bit of sharpness to it. I mean, mm. it's a radish, and I was kind of needing that that sharpness in yeah. my in my taste buds because then was steak and potatoes, medallion, a medallion of beef on a pound, like a pound on a. Circle of whipped potatoes with some green garlic puree mm-hmm. and two different sauces, a bay laurel infused butter and a Nantes carrot gastrique on the other side, which, oh my gosh, that was amazing. I, I could have just had the, a plate of the carrot sauce and would have been pretty happy. And I don't even like carrots, but the we We keep the running into just... the Nantes carrots up here. Yes. So it must be in season. I guess so. Because most of the places we went to were seasonal. Yeah, seasonal. That's true. And then the dessert started, which, okay. So first we had uh, cheesecake with cherry blossom mousse. And there was a huckleberry compote with honeycomb on the side, which was so delicious. And that, that would have been just perfect, a perfect, delightful ending. But no, then we got a plate of macaron and the cream puff. And a chocolate truffle and pâté de fruits, which is um, a bougie gummy bear, is how, the pastry, <laughs> is, how, is how the pastry chef described it. So those are her words, not mine. And then they brought us warm chocolate chip cookies and a bowl of whipped cream. To, to dip put, the cookie in. Yeah. Which the cookie was amazing. 
Even it you was, said so. It was um, very similar texture to my chocolate chip cookie, so I'm pretty sure they stole my technique. It's very likely. <laughs> I mean, why wouldn't they? <laughs> it's only a Michelin-starred restaurant, but... You do make the best I chocolate am. chip cookies. I, yes. Yeah. And then you could also go in the back and check out the cheese board, which we looked at it and we said, no, we, we can't do that, and made our merry way home. But it was really just an amazing... I mean, the service was fantastic. The timing was great. Serving that many people all at once is is a feat. It was it was a part show, and yeah. I think that while it is a bit of a splurge, we went because we knew we would learn. We would learn something and take something away from it, but it was also like super entertaining and wonderful. You could also do a wine flight or a cocktail flight or a mocktail flight with all of these courses. And while we are not total lightweights, we chose to not do the flights because we had a big yarn day the next day. Yes, we wanted to be ready for that. But yeah, but you could go check out the kitchen before the meal. People got to come and help cook. Cook. I put that in air quotes. <laughs> they sort of got to shake a pan for a little bit, which was very entertaining. Yeah. And they were just really welcoming and it was it really was nice. completely and it's been fun. there since nineteen ninety one. So it's it was really super fun. impressive. Yeah. We know not everyone will have the desire to experience that kind of a thing, but we wanted to tell you about it because we learned a lot and, and I'm hoping to talk more about mushroom bisque and salt cured eggs and lemon preserves and honeycomb that honeycomb oh yeah that was really good too. and then we learned that huckleberries only grow in idaho who knew and montana and montana i did oh i didn't yeah i think i'll probably be referencing it once or twice more so yeah. i hope people enjoy the review in the spirit in which it's intended and then what is on the easel well we've been up here and in Sacramento, and I did bring an entire sketch kit, and I have not sketched anything. And that is because we've been busy, but I did get over to the Crocker Museum, which is here in, Sac in Sacramento, right along the river. The Crocker family donated their family mansion to the city in like 1885, and the city has since preserved the mansion and, and built on an extension to the museum. And it is a totally worthwhile museum to visit if you're up in Sacramento. I saw some really incredible paintings. The things that really caught my eye were mostly sculpture, which kind of surprises me because I usually go in for lots of painting, but there were some incredible sculpt pieces of sculpture there. And as I was enjoying a gallery, I, out of the corner of my eye, I saw this giant bird sculpture perched up on the architecture between two galleries, this like huge American robin. And I, that <laughs> sounds crazy, is the delight of the museum for me. It was done by Gerald Heffernan, who is totally new to me, but I can't wait to go and read more about his work. I, I guess he does, he studies like almost on a biological scale, animal gigantism on islands. And so I love, I loved this sculpture. I thought it was really whimsical and incredibly lifelike. 
There's also a ton of other paintings that I noted and some ceramics that I really loved. In particular, this Crystal Mori sculpture called Venus on the Waves. She works, lives and works out of Oakland and she's pretty young and I think it's awesome that she's at the Crocker. And her piece is like really delicate, porcelain, highly detailed, just so beautiful. And so I was thrilled to see that in person. And so I'm I'm so glad that I went and spent part of my day. It was like the busiest morning at Stitches. And so I thought, oh, while they're registering everybody, I'll go do the museum and come back after lunch. I needed the art time, I guess. So I was thrilled to have done that. And then I came back over and it's been yarn, yarn, yarn ever since. Yes. So on the needles, did have a couple of project notes that I wanted to chat about first before we get into all the excitement. Because I finished my Go Tell the Bees shawl, which I started, I don't know, like a year ago and finally finished. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I hadn't realized it. Yeah, it was, it started a long time ago and then it just sat and sat and sat. And then Hmm. I just picked it up and all of a sudden it's done, which is fabulous. So the pattern is by Michelle Bernstein. The yarn is from Sincere Sheep, her Eureka fingering base in the Brave Enough gradient colorway, which starts with yellow and goes to this gorgeous deep purple. And I did, in fact, get to use a good bit of the purple. So that was wonderful. I was a little worried about that. And it's done. And it has this super fun bee stitch pattern running up the spine of it. And it's a a really wide, shallow, crescent-shaped shawl with this lovely lace border. The Sincere Sheep does natural dyeing, so it's a very muted colorway. I mean, the, the dark purple is very dark, but it's not, I don't know, I don't, I'm not a color person, so I get hung up on like how to describe the difference between, I guess it's not like a bright and shiny dark purple. It's hmm, just like a shadow purple. Yeah, but gorgeous. So that is done, and I actually blocked it. I got out my lace blocking wires and pins, and it was a whole thing, because lace, you really do need to block otherwise it just does not look as amazing as it could I guess you don't have to it's your knitting you can do whatever you want but it's gonna look better if you block the lace and this just fantastic and so then I've been working on Simon's hide and peak sweater the rickrack sweater he finally tried it on which was hilarious because I guess the poor man has never seen me try on a sweater in progress so I had stopped it about where I thought the body needed to end before I started the hem, so it's not as long as it needs to be. And I haven't done the sleeves yet. So he looks at it when I ask him to try it on and says, well, it looks a little bit small, doesn't it? I was like, no, no, it's fine. Just, you know, try it on. I want to see, make sure the fit is okay and see how much farther I need to go. So he said, okay. He's like, well, I think it needs to be a little bit longer. And can you maybe, like, cover my arms so they're not <laughs> hanging out? Um, so I explained that, yes, there would be sleeves when I was done. He didn't want a crop top tank top? No, apparently not. I don't know. I don't know why he wouldn't. But yeah, so I am back to that. I have done the hem and I have started on the first sleeve and I thought I would get some more knitting done. I did get a good bit done. My son was in the soccer playoffs. I was watching them. They were streaming the game. So I was able to watch them and do some knitting. But up here, I haven't got any knitting done because we've just been so... So busy. So otherwise occupied. Yes. With fabulous yarny stitches events. So stitches. <sighs> so exciting. Okay. So for people who haven't been playing along, Stitches West is an annual yarn convention, yes. which has 
classes and marketplace marketplace with demonstrations and shops and it is everything yarn and everyone most people wear their handmaids with pride and there's like fashion show for handmade yarns and there's a lot that we didn't do but we did do some of it we did yeah it lasts um four days thursday to sunday so today is the last day and I have never done a whole weekend. It used to be in Santa Clara. This was the first year it was scheduled to be in Sacramento. Sacramento is about a two-hour drive for us, so we decided to make a weekend of it. The kids are bigger, too, so they don't need yeah. us quite as much. So we were able to do it, and everybody had to be vaxxed. We all wore masks in the marketplace and classes anytime you were at the convention center. Yeah, so that, it's felt really safe. That really was helpful. Stitches West used to be the biggest marketplace of all the Stitches events. I don't think that was true this year. It was definitely a lot smaller. Mm-hmm. But in a way, I really enjoyed that because, and I think being here longer helped too. I just was really able to take my time. We went through the marketplace pretty much every day. Yeah. Or you didn't go Thursday. I went Thursday night for the preview. But I could really slow down and look at things, talk to vendors. There was more space in between the booths. So you weren't all crowded around. It was just, it was a really nice experience. And they had everyone, you could get a sticker that said how comfortable you were with like handshakes or did you just want to keep apart? So that was really nice. Yeah. Um, They just, I think they did a really, a good job. I felt pretty good about it. I got a first timer sticker, even though the last time I went was 10 years ago, the women at registration decided that 10 years was enough to give me a newbie sticker, which... I feel I still feel guilty about it. <laughs> and it does it's not like it gets me anything. It's just no, but you had some people say, "Oh, that's great. How are you enjoying it?" Yeah. It's like a little conversation starter. It's a conversation. Yeah. 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 And I ran into some women that were wearing it and you can't really see it unless you're like unless you know. <laughs> yeah, because, you... or you like squint at someone's chest area, which you don't really want to do. So I was asking them about it, you know, how it was and yeah. they were finding it. So So that was it. It was it was nice that they were doing that, I think. Yeah, it's just, it's always good to, I mean, I wish there was a show like this for art supplies, but it is so good to be with people who love their craft, who do what they love to do every single day. It is really fun. And just embracing the craft and the art form and seeing what's, what's out there. And seeing the yarn in person yeah, after. So nice. Yeah, they, you know, they obviously they didn't have one last year. The last one was February of 2020, right before everything shut down. So, whew. yeah, so I definitely did a little shopping. I got a couple of new sweaters. I had two that I wanted, I, I went in knowing that I wanted to get yarn for, and I did that. And then part of it all being in person is that the booths all have samples using their yarn, of sweaters and shawls, and sometimes they have kits. So that you'll see something. Sample that, patterns. Yeah. Like, um, yeah, knitted up. Yeah. So you'll see something that you maybe wouldn't have come across your screen otherwise, like <laughs> this mohair and lace shawl from Verb for Keeping Warm. That's so beautiful. And they had these gorgeous kits. And so I'll be making that as well. I'm very excited. So I'm really excited to take all my lovelies home and... Finish Simon's sweater so I can start some new exciting things. And my yarn, more out than in, is just whoop, dead for a while. <laughs> but if I knit it all up, then I'll be fine. That's I don't right. need to go shopping anymore. 
And it was fun shopping with you too, because you Thank had you. a couple of projects and things you were looking in. And I do enjoy like I felt like I was people. I felt like I was sort of adrift because I don't because I don't knit a ton. I was really shopping for a particular pattern, which took some of the fun out of it because we also we had another friend up here and she was just like, "Ooh, I love this yarn. And she could just buy it and know that she'll knit something out of it. And I didn't feel comfortable doing that because I don't knit a ton. But I did buy five whole entire skeins plus one extra (laughs) to knit the shawlography by Stephen West. And I, this, this dovetails into my, the class that I took too. So I, back in September or October, I signed up for Brioche and Tarja, which the knitters will think, ooh, Brioche. Everyone else who doesn't knit just needs to know that Brioche is kind of a tricky stitch. It's not, it, like, it's, Okay, so I was maybe a little bit cocky thinking... I mean, to be fair, like, I've been knitting a whole sweater in it. Right. So you might have been thinking, oh, if Monica can knit a sweater in it, how hard can it be? Right. I kind of was, to be honest. Not to be a total brat. I did a sock in it. Like, it's... Yeah. And I didn't complain about it too much. And I just thought, it can't be that hard. And so I didn't really look at the class stuff until maybe, like, a couple weeks ago, and then... I watched a class on YouTube, how to do brioche, and I thought, ooh, this is maybe a little trickier, and I couldn't keep track of things, and then I think you mentioned to me that two-color brioche is easier, mm-hmm. and so, because you can see where you're coming and going. Well, and your class was going to be two-color Intar- plus entire Intarja, so three color. Three color. Mm. So maybe practice the two-color. <laughs> right. And you had to know two-color. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I was the worst student for this class. So So, as the weekend was progressing, because our classes were Saturday (laughs) afternoon, Courtney is getting more and more and more in a panic. I was like, we'll do the brioche, you know, we'll practice it in the room. And so she was working on it. And I was like, let me just get it started for you. Because once you get going with it, you can see the pattern and it's easier to figure out what you're supposed to be doing. Getting started of any project is just not fun. So even before we got to the hotel, I visited Auntie Rita and she and, and Tom, she and I sat and watched a couple YouTube videos and I attempted it. And she, and Rita, who is also a knitter, confirmed that, yeah, maybe brioche is tricky. So back in the hotel room, I tried it again with Monica and then got like two rows in and then pulled the stitches off the needle by accident, like a complete right. fool. Oh my gosh, that was hilarious. There was this moment of silence, and then we both just burst into yeah. helpless laughter. So Monica, the, the, the morning of the class, Monica put like four or five, like got me into brioche. So we had this little sample. And then when I got to class, the instructor said, okay, now everybody needs to show me your sample of two-color brioche so that I know you can do it. And I had to pull out Monica's sample because because I still hadn't learned it. Thank God she had that because I was already failing this class so fast. Okay, so this was a perfectly acceptable class for somebody who knows two-color brioche. I really, truly hadn't had, should not have taken it. 
Well, I was not alone, I am happy to report, because there were people all around me who who were equally lost. And so um, at one point, the woman in front of me, she had mentioned, I, I think I might have said, this is like getting 50 pages into a novel and realizing that you don't care about this novel anymore. <laughs> and so the three of, there was a little group of us just laughing about how totally just we needed more practice on the two-color brioche. And to be fair, this is the last thing I'll say about brioche and tarja. The instructor himself said the hardest part about brioche and tarja is the two-color brioche. It's not the intarja. It's easier than regular intarja because there's like a channel that runs in between your colors. So you just drop your thread and then there's a channel stitch in there and then you pick up your other thread. <laughs> so it's not like when you're knitting regular intarsia and you have to join those stitches so there's no hole. Anyway, he even confirmed it. And so when when he was ready to go more advanced with brioche intarsia, with like increases and decreases, and he said, if you want, you can just keep practicing. So once he decided he was going to go more in-depth, me and my little crowd of slackers in the back of the class decided that we just needed to practice brioche. And 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 I even felt like I'm, I'm not ever going to knit brioche. So fast forward to me buying all of this yarn for the shawlography. And last, last night after the class, I came back and bought the pattern. And sure enough, there's a lot of two-color brioche in it. <laughs> So basically, my big achievement this year is going to learn and nail two-color brioche. It's going to be so much good it's podcast gonna content. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. And she picked out these fabulous colors, five colors we had to find. Yes. <sighs> she did such a good job. And they, well, I, I can do color. That's true. <laughs> That's true. Hence the paint, the paint side. So that, that is a great summation for my stitches experience. Yes. How were your classes? Mine were delightful. I had a class Friday morning with Tony Lipsy, uh, an introduction. I took an intro class to Tunisian crochet, which um, I had a different class scheduled and the instructor got stuck in Europe because, you know, global pandemic. And so I had to find something else that I wanted to take or I didn't have to, but that was what I was able to do. So I found this one because it just sounded kind of cool. I sort of know crochet, but I don't know Tunisian crochet. I knew it had a different hook than regular Although actually you can do it with a regular hook. It just depends on how long or wide your project is. So it was delightful. The teacher was fantastic. She was really nice and friendly and a good teacher, good explaining things. She would come around and check our work. And it was a fascinating process. I mean, it's just, it's a little bit different than regular crochet. The stitches are different. She taught us the simple stitch and the Tunisian knit stitch, which is crochet, but looks like, ends up looking like knitting but it makes a thicker fabric. And she showed us some sample projects of things you could do with it, which were all amazing. And it was really fun. Um, and now I have a Tunisian crochet hook and I went and bought her book. And so I have all these big <laughs> Tunisian crochet plans now, which we will see what happens. But it was really, it was it was a fun, not stressful class. I really should, Except, have, oh. I really should have taken the intro to brioche. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> the only problem was, I forgot to buy the crochet hook that I needed before I went. So I got to spend 
Thursday night at the marketplace looking for a Tunisian crochet hook, which I ended up finding. And then it turned out I could have just had a regular one, but now I have it. And I'm and it excited. offers you more possibilities. Yeah. yeah. So that'll be good. And then yesterday afternoon, I took uh, ergonomics with Carson Demers, which I have heard over the years from many, many people is just the best class ever. And it was super interesting. He is a knitter and a physical therapist. So he's created this class and worked with people over the years to ensure that knitters are able to keep knitting safely and not get injured. And so he talked about what causes injury and how to think about it. And he was not trying to get us to like totally change our knitting styles, but to think about kind of your life as a whole. And he said a lot of times people think, oh, it hurts when I knit. I need to stop doing that. But maybe it's part of the eight hours doing computer work. So maybe you can make tweaks to that, which might be easier than changing your knitting style. And Or all of those vegetable chopping. Yeah. Yeah. Something. I'm blaming the cooking. Sure. That's fair. Yeah. So it was really interesting. And then we watched some videos of people knitting and, you know, what things might they be able to improve. He taught us some stretches. There's some handouts for that. We talked about how to sit properly and how most living room chairs are designed for lounging and not for working, which is what knitting is. You are using your body to create something. It's, it is work. It is not sitting there watching TV. So just, you know, little things to tweak and, you know, bigger ideas. If you want to totally relearn your knitting style, you could hundred percent do that, but you don't have to, you don't have to do that. So yeah, it was a really fun class as well. I'm glad, glad I took both of them. That was, it was just a really, it's a really fun weekend. Our brains are full. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Our bellies were a couple days ago too, but we're doing okay now. Yeah. (laughs) Very true. It has been delightful. Yeah. We would go to the marketplace and then come back and relax a little and, you know, take a class, go to dinner, ran into a bunch of people that I knew here and there and had some nice chats. And then we'd come back and, you know, recharge our batteries in our room and. Yeah, it's just been a delightful weekend, and we've been looking forward to it for so long, and now it's done. And and now I feel like I can totally leave on my laurels because even though I failed brioche and tarja this morning, I wore my color love shawl down to down to breakfast, and some other knitters complimented my shawl, and I felt like okay, I can leave now. Yep, <laughs> you have done it. So. Even though Monica's worn, like, hand-knit socks and hand-knit sweaters every single day. I've and compliments. It's been fun. I know, but I just yeah. feel like, okay, I can go. <laughs> Your one hand-knit My item. One. You made it. <laughs> so that is our Stitches experience. Uh, it's been Thanks delightful. for joining us yes. from um, our tent fort here in our <laughs> hotel room. Pillow fort. Yep. It has been delightful, and we will see you in two weeks. And until then, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.